Well, we're continuing in our series of messages from the gospel according to John. The message became flesh. As I was preparing for today's uh, sermon, it strikes me that chapter 7 is a bit of a frustrating chapter in John because it seems like everybody is arguing and confused and upset and uh, nobody's kind of getting it. Uh, it, it's, it's a frustrating chapter. And uh, we're, we're going to kind of be on a similar theme this week as we were last week. But uh, I wanted to ask you to think a moment. Uh, if you can think of an example where you've judged something wrong because you judged kind of on the surface of things, appearance of things, and didn't really know what was really going on. Let me give you an example. Uh, after the elections this past year, and, you know, Biden uh, is our current president, I, I saw a lot of memes showing up in Facebook, uh, carefully crafted memes of him speaking that kind of made the point that he may be a little old and feeble-minded and uh, kind of losing his train of thought and that kind of thing. Uh, I did, however, uh, read uh, some time ago that uh, Biden, you may not know this, uh, had a stutter when he was younger. And one of the techniques you learn to deal with stuttering when you're trying to speak in public is if you feel a stutter coming on, you have to stop and you have to think of a different way to say what you were about to say. Use different words. Do something so you can uh, not stutter but communicate clearly. Uh, now, if that's what's actually going on, then it's not that uh, the poor man is feeble-minded, it's that he's actually wrestling with a personal challenge and trying to communicate clearly and succinctly. Uh, just as an example, I think there are many times, many ways in which we can interpret something on the surface and, and not really catch what's really going on. And that's what Jesus challenging, challenges us to do in today's passage, is to judge him, not based on appearance, but to judge him rightly. So I've, I've titled the message today, Judge Jesus Rightly. And we are in John chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. Let's read verses 14 and 15. But when the feast was at its midpoint, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. So the Jews were marveling, saying, How does this one know letters, given that he has not studied? So we know from last week, his brothers were going up to the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. They said, come and make a big name for yourself in Jerusalem. Let everybody see publicly what you're up to. And Jesus said, no, it's not the time for that yet. You go, you go on ahead. And he does eventually go up, but not with the whole group publicly. He goes up kind of privately, discreetly uh, to Jerusalem. But halfway through the feast, he goes up to the temple and begins to teach. And John tells us the reaction of the Jews. And again, in John's gospel, he uses the term the Jews to refer specifically to the leadership that was opposed to Jesus. Not to the Jewish people in general, uh, but to the, the religious leadership, which unanimously uh, wouldn't agree on just about anything except that they all wanted Jesus out of the way. Uh, so these uh, are marveling, they're amazed that Jesus... Uh, is demonstrating the level of understanding that he is demonstrating. Now, it would be a mistake to, under, to interpret what they're saying here. This one knows letters. How does this one know letters? The Greek there, grammata, which means letter or character, as in a written letter uh, of the alphabet, that kind of, and it's used to describe 
being a, a person of learning. Uh, we might think that they're saying, well, then Jesus, they're surprised that Jesus can read. But that's, that's really not what they're talking about. In fact, in, in the first century, uh, in the territory of Judea and Galilee and all that, because of synagogues and the way their training was set up, uh, there were well over 90% of Jewish males knew how to read. Uh, not a whole lot of people were taught how to write, but uh, Jews had to be able to read Torah in, in synagogues. So it, the, nobody would be surprised to know that Jesus knew how to read. Uh, just about everybody knew how to read among Jewish males at the time. So it's not that. What they're talking about is formal training. Uh, Jesus has very clearly not been apprenticed to any of the rabbis of the day. Now we know this, Apostle Paul talks about it. He was an up-and-coming star, and he trained under the most famous rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. Uh, but Jesus has not done that. And here's the thing they're so amazed at, that Jesus is entering these public debates and is able to hold his, on, his own when he's interacting with people who are scholars. People who have devoted their lives to memorizing not just the Torah and the scriptures, but memorizing all that the rabbis that came before said and memorizing it word for word so that as they were debating or arguing about scripture back and forth, they could quote rabbi so-and-so and rabbi this and rabbi that and could bring all of that scholarship to bear on the matter at hand. Now the amazing thing about Jesus is he never quoted rabbis. He never memorized any of that stuff. In fact, he kind of went out of his way to step all over that. You'll notice in Jesus' teaching, he never quotes rabbis. He quotes scripture. And what they're amazed is that this guy shows up, he has no formal training, and he is addressing in a public arena, in the temple of Jerusalem, the most public arena you could imagine in Jewish life, and he is holding his own, uh, own among scholars. In fact, He's embarrassing them because his level of insight and wisdom and understanding of Scripture just makes it clear how much better grasp he has of it than any of these other guys who've devoted their lives to studying these things. How does he know? Nobody taught him. This is a pattern that was in Jesus' life from childhood. We know that story that Luke tells us about when he was 12 years old and ended up being left behind in the temple and his parents went on without him and then finally came back to find him. And this is what he says, Luke 2, 46 and 47. After three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Notice that when Jesus was 12 years old, he was at the temple debating with scholars and asking them questions, probing them. And the people were amazed, not just at the insight of his questions, not just at his curiosity and interest in Scripture as a 12-year-old, they are amazed at his answers. At 12 years old, Jesus was teaching scholars. It makes sense if he is, as John tells us, the word, the message of God become flesh. That Jesus is the very one who dictated scripture. Jesus is the very one who inspired scripture. 
if anybody knows what he meant, it's Jesus. It's his book. Who knows better a book than the guy who wrote it? So Jesus didn't need rabbis. He didn't need to quote somebody. He knew exactly what he was talking about when he inspired the words of Scripture. He knew exactly what he was up to when he canonized and protected and guarded through the centuries that particular writing, that particular story or psalm or message from a prophet. He put it all together and uh, it's not surprising that the earliest Christians immediately began to think of Jesus as the the wisdom of God made flesh. They see passages in the Old Testament that personify wisdom. In Proverbs, wisdom stands on the street corner and cries out to the foolish, come and learn wisdom. It's no surprise that when people heard Jesus talk, they said, you know what, this is that very wisdom of God come among us. have a question from these verses. Despite never having received formal rabbinical training, Jesus demonstrated a knowledge and insight into matters of God and man that no one else equaled. What amazes you most about the teachings of Jesus that you have heard? Let's keep reading 16 through 18. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not my own, but of the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know regarding the teaching whether it is from God or whether I am speaking from myself. The one who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, this one is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. (coughs) They're amazed at Jesus' insight, at uh, what he is saying, And Jesus responds very quickly and explains exactly what's going on here. My teaching is not my own. I'm I'm not just some guy that showed up with great insights into Scripture. I have been sent here with a message to deliver. And Jesus is clear in his teaching who sent him. He talks about God the Father sending him. And having come from the Father. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus opens his public ministry by going to the Jerusalem temple and cleansing it and kicking people out and telling them, do not make my Father's house a place of market. Whose house is the temple? God's house. And Jesus proceeds to instruct them on how they should be behaving in God's house. So when Jesus says, my teaching is not my own, I have been sent from the Father with a message to deliver. I'm not just some guy spouting whatever happens to occur to him. I have come with a mission and a message to deliver, and that is what I am doing. I am bringing to you a message from God. And Jesus says, if there's anybody out there who really wants to do God's will, Anyone who's interested in doing the will of the one who sent me, you're going to know whether what I am teaching you is coming from God or whether I'm just uh, talking from myself. I'm just some guy making stuff up. There's been a lot of that. There are whole religions in the world that are based on some guy 
who came up with some cool ideas. Jesus says, you'll know. If you genuinely are seeking after God, you're going to know whether I am speaking from God or it's something else going on here. And if you are pursuing God, and you have dug into Scripture, and you have seen the character of God in Scripture, His actions in human history, the things He has chosen to tell us in Scripture, the ways in which God operates, and you hear what Jesus is saying, you will know if it's in line or not with the God you are seeking uh, to obey. Jesus says that the person who speaks from himself is just seeking his own glory. And you might think that about Jesus. Anybody who says, I and the Father are one, before Abraham was, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not live. Anybody who says that kind of things, normally we would think this is some kind of egomaniac. This guy is just beyond. He's just, he thinks he's, uh, he's everything. And he just wants the world at his feet. You might think that about Jesus, but if that was what he was doing, how come when they wanted to make him king, he didn't say, all right, about time? Why didn't he let them? And even though he did exactly what he said he was going to do, he was going to die on the cross, defeat death and sin, and uh, he would rise immortal, victorious over sin and death, from the grave, uh, an immortal human being. He did all of that. And he didn't rise from the grave and say, okay, now that nobody can kill me, I'm going to rule this earth. I'm going to set myself up as a demigod on this earth and I'm going to govern everything. Try and kill me now. He didn't do that. He rose in glory and power and went back to the Father and sent his spirit to work among the people who had put their faith in him and changed the world in a way that was not self-serving. People look at Jesus and think uh, he's a con man of some sort. What Jesus is saying is, actually pay attention to what I'm doing and saying. What exactly about me denies what I'm saying? What exactly about me undercuts what I'm telling you? Is this some con? I'm trying to make money off of you? Well, unlike all the other guys who formed religions, Jesus didn't get himself a whole harem of women to satisfy himself. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he didn't get married to begin with. He never pursued any of that. He didn't come for that. He didn't come for himself. Whose money did Jesus take? What great wealth did he amass? Did he con people into making him king or something? He had no place to rest his head. So where exactly is the con? 
How, how exactly can you accuse Jesus of deceiving you? What has he done but exactly what he said he was going to do? Come to give his life for us. And some say, no, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't bad, but his disciples, they're the guys who deceived everybody. They made up these stories about Jesus. Okay, well, explain to me exactly where the con is there. Tradition tells us that all but one of the apostles died a martyr. And the one that didn't died in exile on Patmos, John, the guy who wrote this gospel we're looking at. Not a one of them made any money. Where is the con? Where is the big deception? Or is it that these are people who have been transformed by the Jesus who said he had come to change everything? And the transformation was so profound, they were willing to die rather than renounce it. We have a saying, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at me. Pay attention. Don't just look at a surface scan of who I am and dismiss me. Pay attention. Where exactly am I not what I said I am? And the one who has come, not for himself, but to bring glory to the Father who sent me, that one is true, and there's nothing wrong about him. Not a single thing. Jesus challenged his opponents to consider whether his words and actions were consistent with the God of Scripture or not. How do the things Jesus did and say support his claim to be God and Savior? Let's keep reading verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus uh, speaks to these Jews who are amazed at his level of in engagement with scholars. And he talks to them about their area of expertise, Moses and the law. This is the thing they staked their reputation on. This was the source of their authority and respect in the Jewish community. They were the experts on the law of Moses. Moses gave you the law, but you don't keep it. Not one of you keeps it. This is the kind of thing Jesus was talking about last week. The kind of things that make the world hate Jesus is that he bears witness about our works that they are evil. Jesus spoke the truth. Not a single one of you who claim all this uh, holier-than-thou attitude, not a single one of you is even keeping this law you supposedly are so enamored with. And let me point out a key point of departure. You're trying to kill me. The law of Moses was never intended to sanction the killing of the innocent. 
And if the law of Moses was given by the God who has come to us in Jesus, then very clearly it was never intended to be used to put Jesus to death. There could not be a greater violation of the whole intent of the law of Moses than to kill Jesus. The whole law of Moses is fulfilled and completed by Jesus. He is the end, the goal, the the place where the law of Moses was meant to make you arrive. At the feet of Jesus. There can be no greater betrayal of the law of Moses than to deny and kill Jesus. They protest a little bit too forcefully. You have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? And of course, people do that. You know, you've been caught red-handed, but you you feign outrage to, to cover up the fact that they're exactly right. Let's pretend to be outraged. At you. you would even suggest something like that. That's exactly what they've been plotting. Back in, this all ties to chapter 5, when Jesus was in Jerusalem for some feast. John doesn't tell us exactly which feast it was. He was there, and he did something that got everybody upset. He healed a paralytic of 38 years and told him to grab his cot and leave. All that's great, except he did it on Saturday. He did it on the Sabbath. And immediately all the experts are saying, this can't be right. We've been telling people you can't carry stuff on Sabbath. What, what are you doing undermining centuries of teaching? You have broken the law of Moses. And that's the line of reasoning they're trying to use to get Jesus killed. That's where they're coming at it. But they, they feign ignorance. Oh, nobody's trying to kill you. Well, in chapter 5, John already tells us, because Jesus did this on Sabbath and because he started talking about God as his father, they were determined to kill him. Never mind that he was who he said he was. I have a question from these verses. Though they tried to deny it, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to kill Jesus. Why was this a betrayal of the law of Moses they claimed to serve? And let's finish, verses 21 through 24. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Because Moses has given you circumcision, not that it came from Moses, but from the ancestors. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that Moses' law may not be dissolved... Why are you angry with me because I made a man entirely whole on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows where their line of reasoning is and how they're trying to uh, manipulate the law of Moses to justify killing Jesus. I did one thing you're all in in a tizzy about. And when he says you all marvel, clearly he's not talking about them marveling in the sense of, wow, this man is from God, let's hear what he has to say. No, they're all uh, a a Twitter about it. They're all upset about it and their scheming at this point is how do we use Moses to kill him? And Jesus talks about their interpretation and what they're trying to do here. So Moses gave you circumcision. Well, let's be clear. Circumcision predates Moses. Abraham, Isaac, uh, he wrote it into the law, but it was already going on before then. But anyway, let's forget about that for a minute. 
Moses in the law says that on the eighth day of life, a male Jew needs to be circumcised, and this is the sign of his covenant relationship with God. Now, that was considered by Jews to be so important and such a vital need in the life of a Jewish child that a rabbi would break Sabbath to perform circumcision on a, on a boy on the eighth day if it happened to fall on a Sabbath. And out of uh, an understanding of the better good of that child, the rabbi would break the law and break Sabbath by circumcising him on Sabbath because the thinking was that that need outweighs your need to observe Sabbath. And uh, Jesus uses an argument kind of from lesser to greater. If, it hap- if it's true in this lesser circumstance, well, surely in a greater circumstance it would be true. So you are saying that you're going to break Sabbath so that you can keep Moses' law about circumcision. And you're dealing with one member of a child's body for the good of him. Uh, if, if it's okay to break Sabbath in that way, how about me breaking Sabbath to heal a man completely? To do, fix the whole thing, not just the part. If one's okay, why is the other not? And actually, that's something that enters rabbinic tradition. Uh, at the end of the first century, there are a couple of rabbis who very explicitly say that, that if, if breaking Sabbath for one member of a, of a person, such as circumcision, is valid, then certainly uh, breaking Sabbath for the whole person is even more so appropriate. There are a couple of rabbis at the end of the first century who, who write stuff like that, who say stuff like that. Um, so Jesus is pointing out to them clearly that they're coming at this whole thing wrong and they're, they're misconstruing the intent of God's word. And he says, don't judge by appearance. Judge with right judgment. Here's the thing about Jesus. It's easy to evaluate him in a very superficial manner. Just a couple of little quips, a couple of little smug statements about him and just dismiss him outright. Forget about him. Jesus says, don't don't stay on just the appearance of things, the surface uh, appearance of things. Take time to dig in because this is important. Figure out who I am, who I really am. Make the right judgment about me. Because if what I'm saying is true, there is not a single more important thing in life for you than to figure out who I am. Nothing comes even close. I wonder how much damage has been done in the world at large and in the church by people focusing on the appearance of things and forgetting about a right judgment. There are people who uh, are appalled and outraged, I mean murderously outraged at people doing something disrespectful to an American flag. And sometimes those same people can watch a cop kill a man and not be outraged by that. What's going on? Do we care more about the symbol than the reality? Do we care more about the appearance than judging with a right judgment? 
in church. I've observed people who are obsessed with tattoos and piercings. Because there's one verse in Deuteronomy that forbids cutting the corners of your hair, by the way, and tattooing and cutting yourself for the dead. It's not just random tattooing. It's, it's a ritual uh, that's meant to co- connect you somehow spiritually to the deceased. So, but they take that one little verse and it becomes the biggest thing in the world to them. And yet overt expressions of greed or arrogance or cruelty don't seem to faze them. Don't judge by appearance. Judge with right judgment. We have to have the interest in truth to drill down to the bedrock of things. And nowhere is that more important than with Jesus. There's so much superficial nonsense about him out there that has nothing to do with who he is and what he did and what he is continuing to do. There's so much done in the name of Christ that has nothing to do with Jesus. Don't be sidetracked or, or, or uh, distracted by these things. Don't dismiss Jesus superficially because what a some idiot did. What did Jesus do? That's where you need to focus your attention. What did he say? If you can't be bothered to actually read Scripture and find out, you're a fool. You're just taking third-hand words about him and dismissing the one who said he came to give you life eternal. Don't judge by appearance. Judge with right judgment. I have a final question. Jesus challenges us to judge him, not based on appearances, but based on what is right. How do we distinguish between the two? The Jews Jesus was confronting in this passage were determined to be rid of him. They would use any arguments, any bending of the truth necessary to succeed They wanted religiosity, but they didn't want God showing up and interfering. Today, that continues to be a problem. Many of us want to be spiritual. We just don't want Jesus mucking things up. We want to feel good about ourselves and say that we're spiritual people, but we don't want this talk about sin and it being a problem we don't want to talk about a savior and a need for one we don't want to talk about being broken and needing to be healed we want to be told we're great just the way we are and even some christian music i think misunderstands some things there's a lot of music that celebrates the idea that God loves us just the way we are as though he intended for us to stay that way forever God loves you just the way you are but he loves you too much to leave you that way Jesus is going to meddle he's going to get into your life and change everything 
What we need to do about Jesus is not dismiss him by surface uh, cursory evaluations. We need to dig in and find out who he really is. Everything about him confirms that he speaks true, that he came here for our good, not his own benefit. It falls to us to look beyond the distractions on the surface, the feigned outrage, the offense, the protestations to what is truly going on. Why am I so outraged by Jesus? Maybe I am at war with my Creator, and I need to surrender. Maybe I need healing. If we will come to Him and surrender in faith, He will give us the life He came to give us. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, thank You that You have come to us to give us life. That You have come to deal head-on with our problem. Sin and everything it taints and twists and destroys and corrupts. Lord Jesus, we so desperately need you. Help us to see past superficial and uh, untrue approaches to understanding you. And Jesus, you are the God who speaks. You are the message in flesh. Speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself. And help us to find the faith, the surrender to you that leads to life and transformation. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.